Good morning, MCA. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 25, 21 through 34. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to, the, to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the other will serve the younger. Then the time came for her to give birth. There were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, First sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord for us. Sibling rivalry is a theme that is as old as humanity itself, right? So think about the very first pair of brothers. Who would that have been? (laughs) Cain and Abel. The very first pair of brothers. Yeah, that didn't work out very well, did it? And this morning we see in our story that Nate read for us and the passage we're going to be in, Genesis 25, a story of another pair of brothers, equally dysfunctional. Jacob and Esau. These guys were fighting. I can just imagine their mother telling the story as she says, these boys, they're always fighting. These guys were fighting since they were in the womb. (laughs) These guys were fighting before they were even born. Can you imagine? I thought baby Reisner kicked a lot. Can you imagine jostling around in the womb, fighting in there? These two have sibling rivalry from the jump. And really this struggle in utero kind of is a foreshadowing of what's going to unfold in their lives and in their relationship, the way it's going to impact them and their families, and really the way it's going to impact God's promises to his other chosen people. And so really, just like a lot of the other Old Testament characters that we study, theirs are often lessons in what not to do. (laughs) What not to do. Jacob, he's a trickster. He's conniving. He lies. He takes advantage of others. There's one word that jumps out when you study the life of Jacob, and that word is dysfunctional. He is dysfunctional. And so this morning, what we're doing, church family, is we are resuming our study in Genesis. So do you remember, we said we've got a goal this year to study the book of Genesis. And so we've done that in part, but we are going to come back to it now. So we began with Part one, Genesis part one, we called in the beginning, and we looked at creation and original sin, the flood, the tower of Babel. Then I think we did a few other sermon series. Then we came back to Genesis part two. We did father Abraham. We looked at the life of that great patriarch and how God picked this man, Abram, 
And he made him a promise that one day he would bless the whole world through his offspring. Remember that? The promise to Father Abraham. And I think we wrapped up that series with uh, Genesis chapter 22, but just a a quick recap of of what happens there is, hey, God fulfilled his promise. (laughs) Abraham and Sarah had a baby. And and get this, they were really, really, really old. (laughs) And take no offense to that because they were older than anyone in here. When their son Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. But you see, God carries out his plan in his time. And theirs was a lesson in that. Don't do it your way. Trust God. He said this was going to happen. And so when God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so we've looked at, the in the beginning, the stories of creation, we've looked at Father Abraham. So the son then of Abraham and Sarah, of course, is Isaac. He grows up. And gets married. That's kind of the part that we fast forwarded is uh, getting his wife, Rebecca. You can, you can read about that if you'd like. Uh, I believe that's ch- uh, chapter 24. Uh, so he gets married to Rebecca. So it's Isaac and Rebecca then. And oftentimes you hear in the Old Testament the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So we're following this patriarchal lineage. But we're going to key in then on their sons. So this morning is the story of Jacob and Esau. Probably a familiar story. Probably a story you've heard since Sunday school. We notice there that, um, well, so let's go ahead and turn there. So uh, Genesis chapter 25, where, uh, where Nate read for us just a few moments ago. So if we look at verse 21, we see that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And you go, this again? Like God says, I've got a good plan, and I'm going to redeem the whole world. I'm going to bless all people through you and through your offspring. Abraham is 100 years old when finally the son, the child of promise, Isaac, is born. And now, of course, it's, Isaac's going to have to have kids here, right? Like Isaac and Rebecca, like they get married late. They're 40 years old. It's been 20 years. No kids. She's barren. And so it just reminds you of the stories of, of Abraham and Sarah, who God had made this promise to, and yet they were not seeing it. They were wondering, how is this possibly going to happen? And really, I, this is a, a theme that runs throughout Scripture, that God is going to do his plan in his time frame. And so the, the woman who is barren, you know, we see that oftentimes in, in these families. The, they are infertile. They are incapable of having a child. They need help. And so they turn to the Lord, and what does he do? He helps. And so we see there that Isaac prays to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she's not pregnant. They're expecting a child because of God's promise. Maybe they had that desire for their family too. And when Isaac prays to the Lord, God helps. God shows up, and Rebecca becomes pregnant. So it says, the Lord answered his prayer. His wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Not just one baby, but two. Twins. Verse 22 says, the baby's jostled within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? And then she does a great thing here, and she inquires of the Lord. She doesn't just gripe and groan and complain about it. She doesn't just uh, struggle with confusion. She inquires of the Lord, and the Lord answers her. And he tells her about these two, and he, he forecasts, he prophesies what is going to happen. Verse 23, two nations are in your womb. 
two peoples from within you, and they'll be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So the Lord's not confused. The Lord's not unsure. The Lord says, oh, yeah, 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 here's what's happening. <laughs> Let me explain it to you. I've got it planned out. And he lets Rebecca know this. Like, even before these two are born, he lets her know. Now, this would have been very countercultural because we know something about the way they operated, which was the firstborn had this place of primacy. The firstborn was the favored one. When you were in that role of being firstborn, you get a double portion of the inheritance. Okay, that's called the birthright. You get to take the place as patriarch. When the time comes, you are the leader and the authority for your family, for your clan. Um, you get the best of everything when you're the firstborn. And yet the Lord says, nope, not with these two. It's not going to be the, the firstborn. It's actually going to be the younger one. The younger one is going to be the blessed one. And again, right here at the onset, like before Jacob and Esau have even been born, and as we're tracking God's beautiful plan of redemption throughout human history, we begin to realize God is going to carry out his plan in his way. And, and it doesn't matter what our expectations are, and it doesn't matter what our patterns are, and it doesn't matter what our culture is. In fact, a lot of times what God does is he turns those upside down. You've got expectation, you've got plans, God turns them on its head. And so he chooses Jacob, not Esau. And you, you realize, oh, well, with the, the pair of brothers I mentioned earlier, the very first set of brothers, Cain and Abel, Abel actually was the younger of those two. And he's going to do it again. We're going to see it continue. He chooses Ephraim, not Manasseh. Those are the sons of Joseph. He chooses Judah, not Reuben, the firstborn. He chooses David. Remember that? Not any of his old, seven older brothers. He chooses the youngest one. He chooses the run over and over and over. God defies our expectations and human convention. He chooses the unlikely one. And we see that happen in the life of Jacob. Because in God's kingdom, it's not about the one who's most deserving. In God's kingdom, it's not about the one who's most prominent. It's not about the one who's esteemed and highly favored in the eyes of the world. It's not about the one who we expect to do great things. In God's kingdom, it's oftentimes the opposite. It's the small one. It's the humble one. And so the Lord says, I'm going to choose the younger one of these two as he's carrying out this covenant promise. Remember, the Lord made covenant with Abraham. And all of those things are going to be fulfilled, but it's not going to be the way you think it is. It's not Esau. And so then we recognize the fact that these are twins. They were born probably mere moments apart. <laughs> but still, Esau would have been the one expected as the older one. But no, it's, it's Jacob. So let's continue reading. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 24. It's time for the birth of these two boys. It says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red. His whole body was hairy, like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. The, the name Esau means hairy. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Jacob means heel grasper. And it says there, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So begins the tale of what I would call Harry and the heel grasper. 
Harry and the heel grasper. Sibling rivalry to the max with Jacob and Esau. And, and by the way, we should point out here, and this, your Bible says this most likely when it gives the, the notation on those names, that uh, for Jacob's name, it means he grasps the heel. That is a Hebrew idiom, which means he deceives. So it's a, it's a, literally, it's a heel grasper. Figuratively, it's, okay, this is going to be like someone who is conniving, a trickster, deceitful. So they fought in the womb. They fought on the way out. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the doctor presiding over this? Like, I've never seen this before. These two are at each other's throats as they're being born. The one is grabbing the other. And they're going to keep right on fighting. It's not going to stop. I can, I can just imagine what this poor mother went through when these were boys, constantly wrestling and tussling and grappling and competing. And those of you that have siblings, you know some of that, that uh, vying for supremacy and, and maybe even uh, those of you who are a twin. I know we have several folks in our congregation who are part of a, a twin relationship uh, you know something really about that. Like, you really want to show the other one up. <laughs> you, you really want to get the upper hand. You want to distinguish yourself from the other that is so like you and similar to you. And yet, you have this, this undeniable connection with a twin sibling. It's like the story I heard about a guy who uh, was in prison and he called his twin brother. And he said, I've got a big favor to ask. He says, okay, he says, well, you remember when we were kids and we used to always finish each other's sentences. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so what we see is these two boys growing up just tussling and jostling and, and, and vying for that place of supremacy, they go different ways. They, they choose very different paths indeed. Esau, he's the tough guy. He's the big, burly, strong, hairy one. He's the man's man. Jacob is the one who he preferred to be indoors. Probably didn't have a, a, a tan. He, he uh, probably enjoyed more using his brain. He was sort of a clever strategist. It turns out, of course, then he is a trickster. He lives up to his name. He's a, he's a bit of a con man. Okay, so let's keep going there. Verse 27 where it says, the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, again, that's the father, and he's now old. So think about this. He was 60 years old when they were born. So 60 at the time of birth. So by the time they reach 20 years old, he's 80. So he's well along in years. He had a taste for wild game, it says, and he loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And to that I say, ah, parental favoritism. No wonder things go from bad to worse. Oh, your dad's favorite. What does that do to Jacob's heart and life? It drives him to get his father's attention. It drives him to get his father's blessing, no matter what the cost. Oh, you're, you're the mom's favorite. What does that do to Esau? It hurts him. You see that in his, his marriage relationships where, yet again, I've disappointed mom. Nothing I do is ever going to make her happy with me. Um, 
And, and really, guys, here's, here's the problem is God doesn't show favoritism. The scripture is really clear on that. There are lots of scriptures there. Romans 2.11, Galatians 2.6, Ephesians 6.9. God doesn't show favoritism. And God calls his people. As, as followers of Jesus, the scripture is really clear that we are to do the same thing. We are not to fall into that trap of showing favoritism. But these parents, they, they did that. They showed favoritism. So we've got Isaac who chooses Esau as his favorite. Rebecca picks Jacob. And the kids knew it. And I would say this now uh, accelerates the whole family dynamic. It's now not just this fun, jovial sibling rivalry. The stories of, man, even when I was pregnant, they were jostling around in my, in my womb. It's now this, this craving. And again, we're, we're, we're going to key in on the life of Jacob, who's the patriarch. And, and you can just see how he is bent on getting his father's approval. He will do whatever it takes to get the attention of Isaac. If only Isaac had said, I'm not going to play favorites here. I got two boys and I love them both. Be a different story. But what happens is it only fuels the fire between them. And listen, things can get pretty ugly between feuding brothers. How do you suppose Esau treated Jacob? And again, knowing something about the kind of person that Esau was, when he had opportunity to be near his brother Jacob, how do you, how do you think he responded to him when Jacob was like decorating the tent or like wor- you know, working on a sewing project or, or a recipe? <laughs> I just imagine that Esau had plenty of fodder for making fun of him there. Like, oh, Jacob, what are you doing today? Oh, you're cooking again. Mm, yeah, that's nice. And, and how do you suppose Jacob responded to Esau? Uh, I imagine it's something like, oh, Esau, I'm not surprised that you're here. I could smell you from a mile away. <laughs> like, I, I just imagine that these two were constantly picking on and feuding with one another. So we actually don't know all of their escapades. But I'm sure they were manifold. What we, what we do have is what we're going to explore, that one day Esau comes home from a hunt, and he is hungry. He is famished. And it just so happens that Jacob has prepared a tasty and delicious meal, a fresh pot of stew. So let's pick it up back at verse 20. We're in Genesis chapter 25. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he's also called Edom. 
And Jacob replies, hmm, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau says. What good is a birthright to me? Jacob says, uh-uh-uh-uh, swear this to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, got up and left, and despised his birthright. The birthright, as we understand it, would have been that double portion of the inheritance as the firstborn. He's gonna, when, when the estate is divided, he's going to get a double portion. So Jacob would have been the recipient of a part of that, but Esau would have had the lion's share, and that is what he gives up. Hmm. How many times do you suppose Jacob had thought about that double portion? How many times do you think Jacob had dreamed of if only Esau found himself in a predicament, hanging off the side of a cliff? Oh, no, I don't really make it a habit to go out to cliffs. (laughs) Being threatened by some wild creature? Hmm, No, I don't really have the skills to, to take down that sort of thing. Hmm, I wonder if he comes in sometime and he's so hungry to the point of death. Yes, Jacob was opportunistic, but I speculate that he had played this over in his own mind. Man, I wish there was some way I could connive and get his share because his share, is it shows that dad favors him. And if I could get it, then I would get dad's attention. I would get dad's love. And so here we have this scene unfold. And to me, I read it and I go, like, never mind the fact that Esau comes in And Jacob has fresh food ready to go. And how many of us would go, oh, perfect timing. The food's ready. The food's hot. Like, get some food. Come on in, brother. Never mind that. Jacob immediately goes into bargaining mode. He sees that Esau is in a moment of weakness. He is compromised. And instead of having compassion, he leverages the situation for his own benefit. Now, lest we villainize Jacob here and sort of elevate Esau to hero status, part of what's really interesting and maybe even difficult about this story and this passage is that Esau is not the hero either. Like, he he is not admirable in his actions. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, he gets blasted. He's called godless because for a single meal, he sold away his inheritance and his rights as oldest son. It seems like he made the decision in a split second too. And we sort of, we sort of, we believe that in, in making that decision, Esau has really revealed his lack of spiritual discernment. For a single meal, you gave up such great importance. Like he doesn't seem to appreciate the value of God's blessings and of God's portion for him. So it's, it's interesting because really neither of them are, are very savory in this story. And did you notice? <laughs> I love this story. This story is, is amazing, and it cracks me up at so many different points. But did you notice this whole incident uh, results in Esau getting a new nickname? Edom. It's red. 
So like from this point on, Jacob, and I imagine the other people in their community and in their world, they called Esau Red. What's up, Red? How's it going, Red? Hey, did you have any of that red stew recently? What's that going for these days anyway? What's the price of a, a bowl of lentil stew? Like, like from this point on, he gets called red because of this decision. Like this guy bought one bowl of red soup. And so we're going to call him red for the rest of his days. Like, like he is the laughing stock of town. Can you imagine that? And it was his twin brother too. He got the best of him. He came in from the field. He was famished and his, his brother sold him a bowl of red stew. And so he's called red. For the rest of his days. I'm imagining that Esau, who seems to be kind of a brutish kind of guy, was only infuriated even more by the fact. And I'll say, I have a brother, and I don't think he ever would have done anything to me as heinous and drastic as what Jacob did to Esau. No, in fact, when I was a child, I had this rare condition where I had to eat mud three times a day in order to survive. I never would have known about it unless my brother would have told me. Thank you. (laughs) So Esau gets taken advantage of by his brother. And he seems like the kind of guy who, if Jacob is kind of the brainiac and the trickster, and he's the the big, strong, hairy hunter one, he says, this is not going to happen again. I am not going to let my brother get the best of me again. That squirrely brother of mine, he did it to me once. I'm forever embarrassed. And so the next time there's going to be something on the line, I'm going to make sure that he doesn't steal it, that he doesn't get it, he doesn't throw me under the bus. And sure enough, the next time comes. It's actually in Genesis chapter 27. You're welcome to turn over to that chapter. Because it's time for the big family blessing. This is conferring spiritual authority. And of course, Esau, as the firstborn, Jacob, uh, Isaac rather, has him in his sights. He's going to confer upon him this big spiritual blessing. And in order to do it, he says, I want you to go out and hunt first. Bring me the wild game. Prepare it just the way I like it. And then I'm going to bless you. And so Esau wastes no time. I'm on mission. I'm going to go get that wild game. Bring it in. I'm going to get the blessing. But that's not what happened, is it? See, the problem is that Rebecca overheard. What's that? Oh, he wants him to go hunt. And, and remember, Rebecca played favorites. She liked Jacob. She loved Jacob. He was her favorite. He was her pet. And so Rebecca starts scheming with Jacob. She says, your father's going to bless your brother, but let's have you steal that blessing. And so we just need you to go in. Again, Isaac is well along in years. His eyes were failing him. So he was basically blind, couldn't see. She says, just go into your father, tell him that you're Esau, and you'll get the blessing. So she kind of schemes this up. She says, I can even go kill a goat, make it just the way your father likes it. He'll think it's, it's Esau's wild game. We'll, we'll check him. We'll fool him. What's interesting is Jacob actually sort of gets cold feet about this idea. He likes the idea of of, uh, stealing again from his brother. But he's like, okay, there's a huge problem. I'm not Esau. I don't look like him. I don't sound like him. I don't smell like him. What if dad feels my hand that's all smooth and silky? Like if I feel nothing, like she says, I've got it. I can figure this out. We'll take some goat skin and we'll put it on you, on, on your neck. And on your arms and hands, 
and we'll take some of Esau's clothing, and he's like, oh, ooh. And dad will think that you're him. And, and Jacob's like, listen, if this goes sideways, I'm going to be cursed. And Rebecca says, whatever curses come from this deceitfulness and this trickery and stuff, she says, let it fall on me. See, she was trying to do things her way. She thinks she has a plan that she's going to do her way. Can you imagine? To be so callous toward God. To say, well, it doesn't really matter if there is consequence for these wrong actions. Let them fall on me. So let's go to chapter 27. Let's go to verse 19. She, does, she acts out the whole plan she has dreamt up, and in goes Jacob to Isaac. It says, Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. He says, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And Isaac says, how'd you find it so quickly? And he says, the Lord gave me success. Like right from the start, Isaac knows that something is off. He calls Esau, the actual Esau in and says, okay, we're going to do this thing, so go ahead and ready your weapons and go out into the field. And he knows that it takes some time for Esau to make his way out to his uh, hunting blind. <laughs> he knows it takes some time for him to wait to, to stalk and kill and field dress. And, and haul the, the animal back and to prepare it. And Jacob just blows that timeline out of the water. So right from the jump, he's like, wait, wait a minute. What, how, did, how did this go so fast? Jacob just doubles down. Can you imagine his heart, his heart is probably just beating out of his chest? Because he's already lied. Like, I am e I'm Esau. Just, just bold-faced lying to his father. And the father's like, wait a minute, this doesn't really make sense. He, just, he doubles down. He says, the reason he was so speedy is because God helped him. Like, yeah, uh, good question, dad. The way that I managed to get this so quickly and bring it into you, uh, it was God. Yep, mm -hmm. walked right out there. There's an animal, shot it, brought it in, boom. Like, God, like, God helped me. And I say, what a shame. To bring God into his deceitfulness? Like this is bad enough that you are lying. That you are, that you are carrying out this scheme that is completely untrue. But you're going to drag God into it. <laughs> Isaac knows something is up. As you read through this story, he asks him several times. He's like, are you really Esau? Are you really Esau? And every time Jacob just doubles down, yep, mm-hmm, yep, it's me, uh-huh. And then it says, he feels the goat fur. And imagine, you, you know what a goat feels like. And he goes, well, yep, that's Esau. <laughs> Esau was one hairy dude. <laughs> if you feel a goat and think it's your child, like, he was one hairy dude. So he feels the goat fur and goes, yep, that's Esau, all right. In fact, he goes, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the fur, the, the hair, whatever it is, the arms, the hands, 
our, our Esau's. <laughs> oh, and he, he, she, uh, he wore the clothing as well, so he's got the scent of, of his brother. And let me just say this, as, as you know, I look at the life of Jacob and I say the thing that just jumps out is, is dysfunction. Parental favoritism, that's dysfunctional. Being deceitful in, in this sort of way, where you're caught in the lie, but you just keep doubling down on it. How many of us have done the same thing, where you start off with an untruth, a half-truth, a partial truth, not the whole story, or even a lie. You get challenged, you get caught, and instead of saying, I'm sorry, I messed up, I lied, here's the truth, you double down. Oh, well, let me just explain that. <laughs> you just weave this web of deceit. That's what is dysfunctional, is being deceptive. When you keep secrets from your family and friends, when you don't tell the truth, when your conscience is so seared that you fall into those traps where you go, well, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Well, it was just a little harmless white lie. I want to say this and I want to say it clearly, that we are followers of Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we bear witness to the good news of the gospel of Christ. We bear witness I mean, we tell of the truth of Christ. And so when we fall into deceptiveness, when we, when we lie, when we don't tell the whole truth, what we're doing is we're undermining our witness. We're undermining the advancement of the gospel because we're not fulfilling what he has called us to do, which is to bear witness to the good news. So deceptiveness, deceit, lying, it's dysfunctional. And beyond that, it tarnishes the name of Christ. Well, what happens in this story is that Isaac then falls for the scheme. He knows something is up, but he's asked all the questions he can ask. And when he feels the goat skin and he smells the garments, he says, all right, it must be you. And so he then confers this blessing. And as it turns out, it's irrevocable. Like he can't go back and and take it back. It's he gives the blessing. He gives this spiritual authority. Jacob already has the birthright, which is the estate. And now he has this spiritual leadership and authority and really the patriarchal role with getting the blessing. It's it's also protection. The, the, The blessing is protection for he and for his family. Oh, and then this story gets really juicy. What? Why hasn't Hollywood got a hold of this? Like, Guess who shows up? (laughs) Out goes Jacob with the stolen blessing. And guess who shows up with the fresh kill? It's Esau. And you can just imagine. He's whistling. He's got a pep in his step. It's like, yep, I got the, I made the kill. I came, he comes back. He cooks it and prepares it just the way Isaac wanted. In he goes. Dad, I'm here. And the dad's like, Hey, who was it that I just gave the blessing to? <laughs> and Esau's like, mm-hmm. he knows who stole the blessing. He absolutely knows. He's filled, he loses it. Esau loses it at that point. Like he is filled with rage. Like you have bested me enough times. You have made fun of me enough times. You stealing my blessing and then nicknaming me red because of the red soup that I bought. And so he, it says he begins plotting 
to kill his brother. Not a feel-good story, really. The the dysfunction that we're identifying has now gone into full-blown hatred. But let me say this as we draw to a close this morning, having read through this story. The family of God is messy. And sometimes even our, our own families are dysfunctional. But what good news that God is faithful. Well, good news that God works despite our wrong choices. When we do show favoritism or act deceptively or even have that bitterness and hatred in our heart toward a brother. I like the way one theologian puts it. He says, God is really good at hitting straight shots with crooked sticks. God is really good at hitting straight shots with crooked sticks. And Jacob is most definitely crooked. He is a crooked stick. And Jacob's story, we're going to be in this for the next several weeks. We're going to see what unfolds. And Esau, we're not done with Esau either. He's coming back to. But it, it is a story filled with conflict. Next week, we're going to see, next week is a great one where Jacob flees. He doesn't want to get killed by his brother, so he flees. And he goes to Laban, his uncle. And it turns out, Laban fights fire with fire. And Jacob, who's the trickster, ends up spending about 20 years with his uncle Laban. And they're just going at each other, tricking each other back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They're swindling each other. But I want to say, I mean, you can expect conflict and strife and dysfunction in your own life. The question is, how are you going to handle it? And I also want to say that I see the gospel in this story. And it's not, as I mentioned earlier, it's not, here's an example of goodness and righteousness, be like him. It's, it's the opposite. It's to say, you contrast Jesus with Jacob. I see the gospel in this story as I think about not the way Jacob operated, but the way Jesus operates. Jesus, oh, he also offered to make a trade. Like how how Jacob says, I'm going to trade you this soup for your birthright. Jesus also offers to make a trade with all of humanity. But unlike Jacob, who used that trade to his advantage, Jesus, who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. See, Jesus offers to take our place. Jesus offered to take our punishment, to offer us then his righteousness, to offer each and every person who puts their trust in him salvation and the hope of eternal life in Christ. And I really think, like Jacob, all of us long for affirmation and acceptance and love from our father. Now, Jacob used deception to get it. But you and I, we simply need to turn to the Lord in faith. Our Heavenly Father longs to bestow His blessings upon you. Just as Isaac did, bestowing blessings. 
upon his children, you as a child of God, receive the blessings that God has for you. And just know, God can take the dysfunction and turn it around. Jacob's story wasn't one of, he went so far that God said, away with you. But God says, you are, you're messing this up. You're dysfunctional, but I'm going to work in spite of you. He can take our dysfunction too and use it for his kingdom and for his glory. And I want you to know that in his kingdom, there is peace. That, that's what a, a life submitted to the lordship of Jesus looks like. Where, where there was chaos, there is now peace. And it's lasting peace. It's peace in our hearts. It's peace in our lives and in our families and in our homes. It's peace in our relationships. And God's heart is to see peace throughout the world. Because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories of old that are intriguing and fascinating and that teach us these powerful lessons. And so, Lord, we confess to you our own dysfunction. It's easy to to laugh at and mock and, and point fingers at Jacob and his dysfunction, but, Lord, we recognize it in our own lives. And we pray, Lord, that unlike Jacob, we would confess and turn to you. Not just continue pressing on our way, not just double down in our deceit and in our wrongheadedness. That ultimately, Lord, we say yes to your will and your plan. Carried out in your time frame, oh God. So thank you, Lord, for the ways that you flip the script for the ways that you take our brokenness and our dead ends and you turn them into something amazing and glorious. So, Lord, we choose today to trust you and to turn to you, asking, Lord, would you bring help? Would you bring life? Yes, Lord, would you bring hope into our lives? We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.